This is the Coach's Wife Life Podcast. I'm Kristen Ergel, your host, a former TV sports reporter and fellow college football coach's wife. I'll go one-on-one with the strong women who are the backbone of college athletics and athletics of all levels. And now, Coach's Wife Life. This podcast is brought to you by Brewer of Hope. Brewer of Hope is a nonprofit that supports medically fragile children. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation, you can use Venmo at Brewer-Hope or online at BrewerofHope.org. It is my honor to bring Ashley Montgomery to the podcast. Ashley is the wife of Philip Montgomery, head football coach for the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Thank you for being a part of us today. Thank you, Kristen. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here. Well, there's so many fun topics to get into, but you know, I was a sports reporter first, so I have to start with football. What a season you just finished, undefeated in conference play, first bid to the AAC championship game, went bowling. Now look this stuff up. I love this. Prior to Tulsa as an assistant at Baylor, Coach McGurmy was named the National Offensive Coordinator of the Year by multiple media outlets. When you look back, What stands out to you as to why Coach Montgomery is getting guys to perform at such a high level? I think this is such a great question. And honestly, I would love to hear our players' answers, like especially the guys that have already graduated and finished playing. From my perspective, I think it's just Phillip's belief that every single one of the players and the coaches are going to find that success. And then um, he just has so much patience in their journey to get to that point. And I mean, without a doubt, Philip is the calmest, most patient human I have ever known. He He's not prone to knee-jerk reactions. He is non-judgmental in every way. And he just, he like he never ever gives up on the situation or the people or or something working and whenever he asks players to I don't know run a route or make a throw to go get to a tackle whatever it is I I don't even think it occurs to him that they can't do that and Mm -hmm. somehow that belief empowers them to perform at a level that maybe they didn't even know was possible But honestly, I think the most powerful aspect of his relationship with the players is how that belief in them extends beyond the football field and the weight room and even into like the locker room and the classroom. But ultimately, we really see it in the boys' lives after college when they start becoming husbands and dads and leaders in their own communities. And I just I think that he is so patient and he just has such belief in them that they can't do anything except succeed. Now, where did you grow up and did you ever see yourself as a coach's wife? Well, I grew up in Stephenville, Texas, and I really did see myself as a coach's wife. Uh, Stephenville is known for the dairy industry and Texas high school football. And I grew up going to ball games. And then in junior high, I became a cheerleader and senior year, I was the cheer captain. And I just, I always loved being around football. My family loved cheering for football. We watched the Dallas Cowboys every Sunday. I just, I always felt like um, that was a lifestyle that I could be called to. And uh, it just, it worked out really perfectly that I was. (laughs) Wow. So how did you actually meet Coach Philip Montgomery? Oh, so this is a good story. I, growing up in Stephenville, I refused to go to college in my hometown. 
and I went off to UT in Austin. And my sophomore year, I got really sick with mono. It was um, just after spring break, and uh, my parents had to come get me. I was at home uh, recuperating, and on April 21st, 1995, I met him at the sixth grade track meet. My cousin Amber was one of his sixth grade students. He was doing his student coaching. He, he graduated from the university there in my hometown, Tarleton State, and he was doing his student teaching, his student coaching, and I asked Amber and all of her little sixth grade friends who the cute coach was because I grew up there. I knew everyone who worked in the school. It's a small town. And here was this guy that I did not recognize, did not know. And so this little group of giggling sixth grade girls runs over to him and told him that I asked who he was. And oh he looked goodness. up at the stands and he saw me. And so the girls came giggling back and said, oh, he wants to meet you. And so I stuck around the track meet and never, never saw him, never heard from him. And then that afternoon, he went and got my cousin out of class and got my phone number from oh her. And yes. And so, you know, um, the funny story, the funniest part of that story is that that weekend, knowing that he had my phone number, I assumed he would call. So I faked being sick so that I didn't have to go to family obligations and birthday dinners so I could just sit by the phone all weekend. Meanwhile, he went to the state softball tournament um, down in, in Green, Texas to play softball with his buddies. But I, I found him on Monday and uh, we got married eight months after the day we met. So oh my it was, goodness. It was love at first sight. <laughs> wow, I love it. I love that you waited by the phone. That is so precious. Uh, I did. I've been following him around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I love the fact that you didn't have a cell phone back then. So you literally just no. the patience. There was no social yes. media. See who, you know, nothing. You just had to have that trust that. I did. Well, I, I kind of, I stopped in the old fashioned way. My best friend from high school um, went to, to Tarleton and she, she knew who he was and a bunch of his friends. And so I asked her and she kind of figured it out and who I was talking about. And so Monday she took me up to the, the weight room where he used to supervise after, after hours so the kids could go and get extra workouts in. And she kind of reintroduced us and she and I cooked dinner for him and one of his, um, buddies that that she knew that night and we just never never looked back and now uh two successful children where are they fast forward a few years yes yes so our son Cannon he is 22 he'll be 23 this summer and he is a senior here at the University of Tulsa he will graduate in about a month on May 15th and he walked on and he has with the COVID year he technically has two years of playing eligibility left but he's going to play one more year with all his friends that he came into school with and then he wants to coach so he'll transition over to GAing either here or somewhere I don't know where he'll find an open that he wants to coach and someday we pray that he'll get to be on staff with Philip because that would be really special. And then our daughter Macy, she um, she is 20. She will be 21 in August and she is a sophomore here at TU. She is on the co-ed cheer squad. She's one of the flyers and on the cheer team and then um, she's also in a sorority and she's very very involved and busy across campus so uh, people laugh but we are all all in on Saturdays. I've got a coach, a 
player and a cheerleader and I'm the crazy woman up in the stands. <laughs> your heart is outside of your body on Saturdays, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a lot to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Now you founded a nonprofit called Quilt to End ALZ to advocate, raise awareness and support for finding a cure for Alzheimer's. What sparked your interest to make an impact in that area? The short story is really that the Lord created this perfect storm of ideas popping up in my head and concerns and struggles that I was going through at that time that all led to me creating this nonprofit. Our daughter was a senior in high school, and I was I was kind of wondering what my life was going to look like as an empty nester and where I was going to find kind of my purpose and my value. And I had been a mom 24-7 for 20-something years, and now all of a sudden, no one was going to even know if I climbed out of bed in the morning or if I showered and got dressed and if I took care of things and what did I need to take care of if I didn't need to be momming all day long. And I really, I had some struggles with that, and it was very difficult for me. And I kind of knew it was going to be. I could see that coming. So I feel very called to do Alzheimer's work. We've had Alzheimer's in both sides of our family. Philip's grandmother passed away of Alzheimer's right after he graduated high school in 1990. My grandmother died of Alzheimer's on Halloween of 2014. And Philip's mom, my mother-in-law, Sandra, she passed away last August of Alzheimer's. So we've really seen it from, from different levels of caregiving and seeing how it has affected not only our loved ones living with and dying from Alzheimer's, but the rest of our family and, and the caregiving that goes into that and just how heart-wrenching it is. So I, ever since we got to Tulsa in 2015, I've been very involved in the Alzheimer's community. And then um, I love quilting. It's, it's probably one of my favorite hobbies. And I had noticed through some other events that when I was quilting um, in, in respect to Alzheimer's, whether it was going to be a fundraising quilt or it's fabric that had been passed down from my grandmother who died of the disease, people just really jumped on board and to where I could post a picture of a quilt or a block that I made on, on social media and get 30 or 40 likes or comments if it was just a plain old block. When I was hooking it to Alzheimer's work, I was getting three and 400 likes and comments. And so I thought there is a need within the quilting community for people to connect and understand more about this disease. And if you look at the demographics, Alzheimer's disease, two thirds of those affected or, or diagnosed with the disease are women. And um, in 65 and over is where we really see the prevalence start hitting. And although we have amazing quilters that are men, by and large, the quilting community is women. And a lot of older women, once they retire, they have time to dedicate to this hobby. So it, there was just a lot of overlap. And I saw an opportunity to connect quilters with the fight to end Alzheimer's and use my education that I've obtained through my Alzheimer's work to pass on to them so they understand the disease better. Wow, absolutely incredible. Now, I'll give information at the end on how someone can connect with you, but you obviously must sell some quilts and connect those and raise awareness for that in terms of uh, donating proceeds and things like that? Yes, absolutely. It's a unique organization and we're the only one like us out there because we really try to attract two audiences. Number one, quilters who 
purchase patterns from us, participate in quilting events. I speak at a lot of quilt guilds across the country to, to share my education program about Alzheimer's disease. But then we also have this audience of non-quilters, people who just want to participate. They love quilts. So we also sell finished products. We sell um, you know different types of merchandise to support us and um, cash donations are always welcome. But it's really fun to have this dual audience going on at once. So uh, we, we say that we're, we're here for quilters and those who love beautiful quilts. Mm, I absolutely love it. We'll put information at the end of the podcast and link it as well. I want to ask you though, game day, we mentioned it earlier. Your heart is literally outside your body. You have the stress <laughs> of your husband's job as the head coach, making all the decisions your son is playing and your daughter is a flyer, which is next level stuff if you if you've never really <laughs> watched them it's um it's tough it's out there so what does a home game look like for you what time do you get to the stadium I mean are you stressed out or are you just hey this is fun this is what we've been preparing our whole life for I think it's both. I, I love seeing them in their element, but it's definitely a, you know an emotional, stressful day. I typically try to arrive at the stadium about five hours before kickoff. Um, oh, wow. I like to set up. I know, right? Um, I, it takes me <clears throat> probably... 30 or 45 minutes to set up tables and food and we we tailgate as a football family and so I like for us to be able to be there doing that for a good two and a half or three hours during that time the spirit squad is always making the rounds so I usually get to see my daughter and she'll stop by and bring you know little face tattoos to all the coaches kids and and hang out for a minute and then I really like to go inside the stadium at least an hour before kickoff. Uh, I started doing that my son's freshman year when he was redshirting because as a redshirt, he wasn't going to be playing throughout the game. And if I wanted to see him doing football stuff, I needed to be there to watch pregame. Mm -hmm. And I really just got hooked on it. I love watching pregame. I love watching them. I'm really methodical. My brain just works that way. So I love seeing them go through the structure of all of their warm-up drills. And I'm just, I, it's kind of peaceful and it, it calms me a little bit to be there and not be rushing in right at kickoff. And so, yeah, I try, I try and get there and, and watch that. And I'm in my seat, ready to go out in the stands by the time kickoff arrives. Wow. I love that. I'm, I love watching pregame too. It's become my favorite thing. There's something special about it. Now, do you get to travel to the away games? I really try when the kids were still at home, we had high school games on Friday night. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be there to watch Cannon play and Macy cheer. Her freshman year of college was 2019. And I did get to travel with the team that year, but I didn't travel at all last year in 2020 because if I did travel as a member of the travel group, I would have had to be COVID tested three times a week. And I really was concerned that even if I passed a, um, or, or popped a positive test that wasn't accurate and had to be retested or something, it wouldn't matter. Philip would have been forced away from the team for 14 days for contact tracing. And as much as I love going, I just wasn't willing to take that chance just to be on the airplane. So I did not travel at all until the bowl game, which was down in Fort Worth and my brother and sister-in-law lived down there. So we just traveled as spectators and we drove down there and stayed with them and went to the game on our own. Now, do you guys have any fun traditions after a big win? 
So win or loss, uh, Philip and I go to Whataburger. We are always the last couple of people out of the facility <laughs> because of the, you know, he's got a press conference and then they go ahead and tape the, the TV show for next week and radio stuff. And so pretty much everyone has, has already gone and grabbed something to eat somewhere. Um, and so we, we just go and hit the Whataburger drive through and, um, I usually don't order anything, maybe an apple pie if I just need a little something, but um, he'll he'll bring the Whataburger home and we'll just kind of sit and he eats and we talk through the game a little bit. And then he always watches the game and I go on to bed and just let him have some space to watch the, the game that we've recorded and, and gives him a little bit of time to decompress and, and look through everything. Oh, love me some Whataburger. That's pretty fun. <laughs> Now, not every day is we're from Texas. Yes, yes, my husband. There was a recruiting trip. I may have told this story once before. There's a rec- recruiting trip that you have to turn your receipts in. And Josh was like, I didn't realize it, but I had gone on this recruiting trip and I ate every single meal from Waterbrook. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that happening around my house too. <laughs> hey, if you live in a t- state without one, you know, you got to take advantage. So yeah, you know, yeah definitely. you guys had a <laughs> tremendous season defeated um regular season it, I was watching it on Instagram following Annie Hansen and y'all and it was just amazing to see it happen but you know not every season is like that not every season of your life is just the high so have you had some adversity that you've had to face going through this the past 25 years and what did you rely on to get through those moments well ironically I would say that last year was also the toughest adversity um I think just the roller coaster ride of of the COVID season was tough, but backing up even to last spring and summer, quarantining away from the team, I think was probably the toughest adversity that we, and specifically that I've watched Philip ever have to go through. It was was the first time I, I reached out to our preacher and I said, I, I, I need you to call Philip. I, I need I need for him to know that that I'm not the only one out here praying for him right now because he's carrying a, a tremendous burden. And that was definitely the hardest thing to watch. Trying, you know, our, our kids, they were they were cut loose for spring break. And then during spring break is when quarantining hit. And so they just told them, don't come back. And so they weren't allowed to come and get their stuff out of their apartments and their dorms. They didn't know if they were supposed to be back to finish spring ball. They didn't know if they were going to get to do summer workouts in in the midst of all of that. They're, they're so unsure about the pandemic. They're hurting for our country in such tremendous ways and we were just pretty much worried sick for their physical and their mental and their emotional well-being. And at the same time, we felt so limited on how we could help them. We wanted to make sure they didn't feel alone, but we were so separated from them. It was just, it was a struggle to make sure that they remembered every single day that they are loved and valued and 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 that we're still here, that we're, you know, we're, we haven't just disappeared because we're out of sight. And just seeing that and then going through Going through the the COVID testing, going through just the the, the knee jerk reactions from all the different powers that be, whenever there were positive tests or when the other team um, canceled, I think that our season. I heard on ESPN one time that our season was the most disrupted season in the country, and I think on two different occasions, our equipment truck had already left to drive to our out of town games when they got canceled, and they oh, wow. turned you know called and said 
you know, turn around and come back. I think there was one time that they were loaded on the buses to go to the airport and they said, nope, get off. They've just canceled the game. Wow. And so it was just this emotional roller coaster and a physical roller coaster because you are mentally and physically preparing for these games and you're scouting and you're studying and you're putting in, uh, you know, different game strategies. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we did all that for nothing. Now, now we have to start again for next week. Oh wait, it just got canceled. And so it was just, it, it was by far the toughest adversity that we've been through and to be able to have a high level of success in that just really, to me, speaks to how well our coaches and our players held it together. Yes, because you maintain that culture, that buy-in, even although you weren't together in the spring and summer physically, and then so many, so much that came through, and that just speaks so much of your husband and the uh, the culture that he's built there. I mean, you can just tell it from afar. It's amazing. Well, I, I think he and the coaching staff, our medical staff was absolutely phenomenal. Our head trainer, Chris Nerio, just was, uh, he was just a warrior throughout the whole thing. And, and he and Philip and our, our head strength coach, Eric Anthony, I mean, the three of them, I, they probably talked when they were all, you know, separated and everyone's having to work from home. I bet they talked once an hour for 12 hours a day. I mean, it was, wow. they just stayed in so much contact, but then our boys were really receptive. I mean, are they perfect? No, but they really did what they were asked to do. And I think we had seven games that were altered by COVID and it, wow. not one single time was it our numbers or our players. Yeah. So it was pretty incredible. Yes. Well, year 26 is this year of being a coach's wife. When you look back over all of this, what do you say um, when you think about something that you're glad that you have made a priority in your life, what would that be? Well, I think that 26 years of being a coach's wife and just the, again, the roller coaster ride that we go through, I think that it has really strengthened my resolve to always give grace and always lead with love. And I, I just, I feel like if grace and love always come first, then there's no room for negativity and condemnation. There's no room for hatred or jealousy. And even though we're in this hugely competitive sport, when grace and love come first, everything else just takes care of itself. And so I, I just, I feel really lucky to have learned that lesson to, to take with me for the next 50 years or however long I get to be here, because I, I think that it's, that's for me, that's not a natural lesson. That's something that I really had to learn. And, and I feel like I'm a better person for it. And that's something that, that coaching and being a coach's wife has given me. You've been a backbone to a very successful coach. What do you think you've done that's contributed to the success that he's had in his career and your lives as a family? And, and don't say nothing because you are definitely, <laughs> it is a family atmosphere there and, and you've definitely given a lot. So tell me some things that you think that it's really helped. You could, you've seen it pay off. Yeah. So this really is the absolute toughest question that you ask every episode. Um, it is so difficult for me to come up with tangible tasks because I really don't think I am much of a doer. I, I stay very busy, but sometimes it's like on that hamster wheel, like I'm going and going, going, but I don't actually get a lot done. I love envisioning and I love creating, but I'm not always the best 
best person at completing things. And I mentioned earlier, Philip is just ultra patient. Um, he has never cared if the laundry was caught up, if the house was put together. He doesn't even care if dinner is homemade. He just doesn't want to have to make the decision after making decisions all day long. He's like, <laughs> I don't care what you feed us. Yes, yeah, I just don't want to have to choose. And so I'd say I'm about 80-20 with getting those types of things done as our house manager. Um, luckily, that seems to be a good balance for us. But as our family goes, I think that Philip and I, we do a really good job of functioning as partners in everything that we do. And as as parents, I think I was able to be our partner representative. And so he worked really hard to attend as many of the kids things as possible. But then I was there and could relay the events and the moments, the experiences with the kids when he did have to miss so that he was still present in Canon and Macy's lives. And he was part of their activities and their teams and their successes. And I just always felt that my being there on our behalf provided a peace of mind for Philip. And that allowed him to do his job at this extreme level of commitment that he demands from himself. Now, going back through your resume, it looks like that maybe your children were young when you took the leap and went to Houston, and then maybe even when you moved to Waco. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you have found effective when you move to a new town or get a new job, finding all of that job, child care? How do you get connected when you just... you? I think you went from maybe a smaller town to to huge Houston. So give us some tips. (laughs) Yes, it's funny. Philip was a high school coach and and he wanted to become a a head high school coach. And we were really thinking we were in Denton. He was offensive coordinator at Denton High School for one year. And we thought, man, Denton is really big. We we probably need to find a smaller town for you to be (laughs) a head coach. And instead, we made the jump to college coaching in the city of Houston, Texas. We, we went the extreme opposite direction that we were thinking through, but it's been a, it's been a great journey from there. And like you said, we, we were in, at the University of Houston and then at Baylor University. Now we've been at the University of Tulsa. And I think that the, the best advice I have for when you move is to ask. And I know that it's really tough. It was tough for me in the beginning. Um, but if you will ask for help, as a new coaching family in town, everyone around you is so eager and so excited for you to be there, and they really want to help you. So I say take advantage of that. If you're not sure what schools are in the area, just the first person you see up at the football facility or the the person helping you with your groceries at the grocery store or, you know, a random person at a church that you go try, just ask questions and don't be intimidated to, to ask the wrong thing or to not understand the answer. The more you ask, the more you're going to learn. And I really do believe that people want to help us when we move. They, they really do. This business, like, as you mentioned, is so competitive. I don't know if there's been a job that you thought your husband would get or he kind of anticipated getting getting and then didn't. What do you say to keep him encouraged? Yeah, I, we have been really blessed in that jobs have have come exactly when they were supposed to. And I think that that is actually the, the message to, to hold on to there is that wherever you are, 
um, that's exactly where God wants you in that moment. And so there, there haven't really been jobs that Philip has gone after that, that didn't pan out. There have been some things that, that he was being considered for and he pulled his name out of because it didn't feel like the right fit or that someone called and said, hey, you know, do you want do you want to throw your name in the ring for this one? And he's like, no, nah, I just I don't know that 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 that's a move in the right direction. Um, but there there have certainly been jobs that have opened and and he may have wondered, yeah, I wonder if I'm going to get a phone call or if, if they're if my name is, is in the mix there. And maybe that phone call just never happened or his name wasn't in the mix. And I think for us, it's just a really good reminder that we don't we may not understand why we need to be in this perfect spot that God has us in, whether that's at the I mean, I, I, you and I were talking earlier and I mentioned that Philip has literally taught and worked with kids from kindergarten through graduate school. And so mm-hmm. every stop along the way, um, we were there because that's where God wanted us to be in that exact moment. And his timing is never wrong. So when it's supposed to be, it will. Like we, when we are supposed to be somewhere else, we will be somewhere else. When we're supposed to be here, we will be here. And Philip is a very faithful person and uh, very, uh, he really relies on his faith and his, his relationship with God. And I think that even in, in moments of question, he knows that truth is there. And so that's really the best reminder that I can give him. Mm, I love that, that God orders our steps. That's good. Good stuff. A big part of college coaching is recruiting. Now, do you follow that at all? Do you get into it? Do you enjoy that aspect of it? I think recruiting is such a double-edged sword. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, Philip and I are just extremely blessed. We We are incredibly close, and I feel like we truly bring out the best in one another. And so I am much more at peace. And I just think I'm a better person when Philip and I have a lot of time together. So because of that, I have always dreaded the weeks that Philip would be gone on the road recruiting. And I think that it's especially easy to resent those recruiting trips when your kids are really young and it feels like the weight of the house and the bills and the kids and the pets and the homework and the baths and the practices and just everything is on our shoulders as the coach's wife. But then we survive to Friday mm-hmm. and coach comes home from where whatever you know tour of high schools he was on. And then the recruits and their families arrive for their official visit weekend. And I meet them and I start hearing their stories and I get to know their personalities. And all of a sudden, I, I forget how hard Monday through Thursday felt. And I just love the interaction and I love... The, the learning and, and just getting a sense of who these kids are and really just learning if, if they feel like they're going to be a great fit for our football family. And so then I get super excited to welcome them and I want to watch them grow and mature over the next four or five years. And so then I think recruiting is pretty great. So I feel like um, I, I do get involved in it because I, I love the, the official visit weekends. And then I probably am not recruiting's biggest fan during the week when the guys are gone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both sides of the coin. I think there's some women on the podcast listening right now. They'll be clapping like, yes, preach. <laughs> <laughs> she's speaking to me right now. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I know it's, um, it can be tough when the kids are little and mm-hmm. you're doing every single practice and 
I can tell yours probably had to go to a lot of gymnastics lessons uh, <laughs> to be a flyer. That's a lot of training for sure. Um, Annie Hansen talks so highly of you and the wives, just the close knit wives on your staff at Tulsa. What are some of the things that you, you were an assistant coach's wife for a long time, and I'm sure you gathered a lot of wisdom from others. Some things that you go, you know, what? I can't wait to do that when I'm a head coach's wife. So what are some of the things that you do on your staff? Yeah, I love this question on each of your shows, and I, I only wish there were more hours in a week or a month so that I could do more of the ideas that I have picked up from people that we've worked with or from your guests, and um, I, there are so many great ways to connect to the wives. I, I have to say, when we got here in, until my kids got to college, Philip and I really approached my role as a head coach's wife as secondary because being Cannon and Macy's mom was my primary role. And so um, I, there were a lot of things that I wanted to do more of, but really and truly my, my main agenda was the kids. And so now that we are empty nesters, now that the kids have graduated and moved on to campus at TU, um, I, I really try to do a better job than I've ever done before. So I, I stay in touch with all the wives, the girlfriends, all the significant others. I set up a group me chat that, that we keep going. And, and that really helps me just be able to put information out in front of everyone. And everyone is really great about sharing what's going on in their life, if they need prayer requests, if they need a helping hand, if they're looking for a babysitter, if they're about to move to a new location or a new house across town. So the group me has been really, really good for us. We also have a Bible study once a week that is just wonderful. Uh, we keep it super casual so that wives and, and when I say wives, I, we include everyone. As soon as one of the, the coaches on staff say, hey, you know, this girl's getting pretty important in my life, we add her in there because we want them all to know that they are not alone. And so when I say wives, I mean all of, all of the ladies in our football family. So I want them to know that even if their schedule doesn't allow for them to keep up with a, a page by page Bible study. They may may not be able to even read the book, but if they have a free lunch on Wednesday, they can jump on the Zoom and we can all be together. So that has been really powerful. I love hosting the football staff and all their families at our house. We do that as much as we could. Uh, we serve dinner, we will heat up the swimming pool and We'll get the cards and dominoes and cornhole and washer board, all that good kind of stuff out and just enjoy some downtime. Um, since COVID, we used to always do that following the spring game. Um, we would do a summer kickoff cookout. Then we would do something during fall camp. And then we always have everyone over for Christmas each year. So that only seems like four times a year, but really and truly, I, I mean, that, that is, that's fun. And that's kind of mm -hmm. half and half bring the kids and, and half of it's just adults only. Uh, I enjoy making meals for them anytime they need a helping hand or they've had a baby or, you know, if there's been a, a, a rough time in their family. Uh, I'm a great babysitter when life throws them curveballs and they need some help with the kids. Um, I, another thing that I, that I do, and I really encourage people to do this because we, we don't have to be the only one putting this stuff together. I'm not shy about asking my wives for help. And I feel like together we can accomplish exponentially more than I can alone. So I really love it when they plan the bridal and the baby showers or they organize volunteer projects for us to do as a group, uh, put together a girls night in or out, doesn't matter. Like we'll, we'll have a, 
uh, you know, a wine and cheese night and just all um, Uber to each other's houses and hang out or something like that. But we, we just really try and take opportunities to celebrate one another and spend time together as much as possible. The flip side of that is that I know how precious and limited their time is with their coach, too. So I, I want to be there for them. I want to offer opportunities for us to foster friendships and support one another. But I also want to do that um, without them ever feeling obligated to attend something when they'd really rather some downtime with their coach, because I know that is super hard to come by. Wow, you are all conference. No wonder everyone talks about how wonder your, wonderful your staff is. Oh my goodness. What are some of the ways uh, you talk about reaching out to the wives and staff? What about the players? I know you, you like to uh, minister to them. What are some things that you do for those young men? Well, I have a really amazing role with the players. I am their yoga instructor. So um, almost weekly throughout the year, we have yoga with Mama Moni, which is uh, what one of the players' little boys named me years ago, and it just stuck. So I'm Mama Moni. I'm a registered yoga instructor, and so I'm also free to the football program, <laughs> and wow. I've been doing yoga. Yeah, I've been doing yoga with them since January of 2016, and that means that I get their undivided attention on basically a, a weekly rotation. And so I take that opportunity and that microphone um, and I tell them in no uncertain terms that, I mean, while I, my message to them and, and they always, as freshmen, they kind of look at me weird the first time they hear it, but my message to them is that I want them to find success. I want them to win their games and I want them to surpass their goals. But ultimately, I could not care any less if we win or lose. And that's because the score, the record, the wins and losses, the tally marks in, in the W&L columns, the media, Twitter, the naysayers, none of that has any bearing. It has nothing to do with how I feel about them as people. And regardless of any of those things, they need to know that they are loved and they are valued and they are never, ever alone in this world. And the coaches can coach them football and they can correct skills and they can, you know, get them motivated. My job is just to love them. And so I hammer that home and that I tell them, look, there are consequences to bad choices. I need for you guys to think through things and I want you to make good choices, but there is nothing that you can do that's going to make me stop caring about you or being here for you. And no mistake is too great that we can't get through it. Punishment might be hard. You might make a bad choice that has a really tough outcome with it. But I just think that our young people need to know that giving up on themselves or giving up on life is simply not an option. And so I use my hour with them every week through our yoga practice to teach them that, to make sure that they understand that, to teach them how to maybe slow down the chaos in the world around us. The definition of yoga is calming the fluctuations of the mind. And I give them this gift of one hour that we can calm the fluctuations of the mind. We can turn off digital noise and catalyst and uh, notifications and tweets and texts and Snapchats and, and really just focus on being there together and feeling really important and really loved. And so that is where my relationship with the boys comes from. 
That's absolutely powerful. I love that. I did not know that, Mama Mani. I love it. That is so <laughs> cool. I bet they it's, just it's cherish really that. Special. Yeah. Well, and I'll be real honest. Philip knows, like, when they do make bad choices, I he really he doesn't tell me because I I don't want to be that part of their life. And I know um, they're young people; they're going to make mistakes. And about, matter of fact, they need to make mistakes. I think one of the hardships that that they face in today's world is that we've created a society in which there is no room for error. Every mistake is recorded and shared and thrown back in your face, and so. Because of that, I worry that when someone does make a bad choice or does fail at something, they just want to give up. And and I just, uh, I can't even say the words to them. Uh, and they know it. Like I, I start crying at yoga all the time. And I'm like, listen, guys, suicide is never an option. Like you cannot think through that. I don't care what time of day or night it is. You find me. Like you, you know I'm here. And you don't have to worry about it coaches or anything else. I, I am here for that. So really when they do make bad choices, um, I, I'm not part of that conversation hardly ever. Um, cause I, I'm not that part of their life. I, I'm the unconditional supporter all the time for these boys. Wow. Wow. Pretty special. Now you talked about, you are very careful about uh, making sure they have time with their coach. So what's your downtime look like with your coach? How do you guys stay connected during the season? Well, um, it's funny. So Philip is not a telephone person at all, but there's this silly little game that we both play on our phone. And so every morning he plays it first and then he screenshots it to give me the solution and he texts it to me. And uh, more importantly, he tells me how that he loves me in that text. And so it's kind of how I start my day is the text from him. On Tuesdays during the season, I always go to his press conference and then we share lunch together while he preps for practice. And then I try to make it to practice at least once a week. It, it, a lot of that will go back to if some of the boys are kind of struggling with, um, you know, hamstrings or back or, or something, and, and they'll they'll reach out to me and say, hey, will you come and, and help me stretch after practice? And so I, almost every day I have one or two or sometimes up to like 10 or 12 that want to stretch. So I, I try to get to practice as much as I can. And, um, you know, that's always nice. If I'm at practice, uh, we walk back to the, the facility together and just give us a minute to hold hands and take a few deep breaths. And a lot of times he's so exhausted, we don't even talk. It's just some time together. And then it's not in the season, but um, every year after National Signing Day, we, we say that we run away together. So that Thursday through Sunday after signing day, we, we take off, um, just the two of us. And again, it's just a, a moment to pause and take a deep breath and just spend some time together away from home and interviews and media and the facility and, and whatever meetings are waiting for him. And then outside of the fall and spring seasons, and especially now that we're empty nesters, we're really intentional about sitting down to dinner together almost every single night. Uh, on Monday nights, I play Mahjong, so he's on his own and usually hits Brahms. <laughs> you can tell he loves burgers, right? Water burger and now Brahms. <laughs> but um, other than that, we, we eat dinner together almost every single night. Wow. I love that. So what do you enjoy doing yeah. in your downtime? Yeah, so um, together, um, it, 
when we have downtime, I really try and like put my own hobbies away so that if he's home, we get to spend some time together. Uh, just this past weekend, we had our spring games so this Sunday afternoon. He helped me and we planted our garden in the backyard. Uh, we love to watch television series. And so at a pace of like one episode per night, a really good series, it'll entertain us for quite some time. So that's fun. And then if at all feasible, um, as a family, we like to go down to our little lake shack that's outside his hometown in Texas for a few days. But for me, um, sewing and yoga are are really my my kind of, um, I'd say my therapy activities and writing. I'm actually putting the the final edits on a book series that I'm going to self-publish that I've been working on for a long time and finally just decided this is ridiculous. I'm getting these things done. So sewing, yoga, and writing, um, I read a lot. Um, So those are really the things I enjoy doing in my downtime. What are some of those most rewarding aspects to you about being a coach's wife? First and foremost, I just absolutely love watching Philip coach. It is, it is truly his calling. Like I, you, and I know you probably hear that every single episode, like, oh, this is my coach's calling. And he, he thought about going into the military. He thought about some other things, but from an early age, like he, this is what he, he felt like he was supposed to do. And I, I know that I'm biased, but I truly think that he is really brilliant in his element. And watching him guide and direct and mentor and just develop our football boys. I mean, it's just what a gift that I get to be his greatest fan. Like it's, it's just incredible. And, you know, beyond, beyond getting to see him in, in that role uh, for me, it's all about the boys. I, I just, I feel so much pride and joy in these kids. And, and I say it's about the boys. It's about our whole football family. I mean, I get to know our training staff and our equipment staff, our video kids. I mean, I just, I love watching them pour so much of themselves into, uh, you know, a, a pretty well-oiled machine. Like a college football program is, is a major entity and they have such a primary role in it. So I just, I love that. And, you know, without a doubt, working with young people can be really challenging. They can be a handful, but yeah, I just, I think they are wonderful. I think they are so much smarter and more capable than they even realize they're strong. And I mean, young people are just so resilient. I mean, you've seen that. You've seen that in your own children. They're just so strong and they teach us so much. They've got the entire world at their fingertips. And just being a tiny part of their world, even just a spectator on the sideline of their journey is the best reward. It's incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. Love that. Now, rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What's the last book you've read? So that's kind of a trick question because I am always reading many books and even listening to books while I sew. But the book that I finished last night is The Devil in the Junior League by Linda Francis Lee. And it is, I, I have read it and I've listened to the audiobook and they're both adorable. So I would highly recommend it. <laughs> Coach surprises you and walks in the door with concert tickets. What would be printed on the ticket? Dolly Parton. Yeah, there you go. If you could have dinner with someone other than a family member, current or from history, who would that be? I was really hoping you were going to ask me this question. So um, my person is Victor Frankl. 
He was an Austrian neurologist and a psychiatrist, and he survived three years of life in a con- in concentration camps. He was in both Auschwitz and um, Dachau throughout the Holocaust, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And I, for me, I believe that it is the second most important book that is that's in publication, with the Bible being the first. And he his book is about why did he survive the Holocaust when so many didn't? And for him, the meaning of life is what is what motivates you to live. And the meaning comes from three possible sources, purposeful work, love, and courage in the face of difficulty. And I just think it's a short book. And I think that um, beyond the Bible, it is the most life-changing book you can read. So I would love to sit down with Victor Frankl. Wow. Love that. You get a yeah. night alone. What show would you binge watch? Okay, well, but this one is tough because we are always changing. And I, I kind of laugh in the quilting world. People often say that they're, the very favorite quilt they've ever made is the one they're currently working on. <laughs> and so I, that's kind of Philip and I in television series. Uh, right now, we are in the final season of Longmire on Netflix, yes. but we are most anxious and excited for Miss Maisel to come back on Amazon. <laughs> there you go. What's yes. your go-to meal to cook? I would say layered enchiladas. It's a crock pot recipe and I keep the ingredients um, on hand all the time and it's an easy one that my family loves. What sport can you beat Coach Montgomery in? So back in the good old days, I would have said cheerleading and tumbling, but now I think yoga is the only thing I could beat him in. What's one thing non-tech you can't live without? So definitely my books and then what goes with my books is my bathtub so I kind of connect the two (laughs) (laughs) very relaxing if you had a superpower what would that be okay you know I love listening to your show and I'm always amazed encouraged and just inspired by every coach's wife that you interview and I always by the end of the episode I have connected to every single one of them in in some way And since this is my very favorite question in every episode, I've already given this a lot of thought. And my, yeah, my immediate response was to be um, omniscient. But in reality, I think it's more about intuition. I always tease that I want to know it all, but it's really not knowing it all. I just want to know what is the right thing to say or what is just the right thing to do for others. And that's where I feel like I'm always lacking. Like, I just don't know what would be most helpful for someone. And I, if I could have a superpower, that's, I would want to have that intuition. Thank you so much, Ashley, for sharing with us. This has been so much fun. Thank you. I have just been looking forward to it. And I've had so much fun listening to your podcast. And like I said, the people that you've interviewed are just absolutely incredible. And I'm just amazed by the sisterhood out there and and how we can be motivated and encouraged and inspired by people we haven't met, but we're connected to. And so I just think what you're doing is so, so powerful and, and such a great asset to our coach's life. Well, thank you. And you as well. If you want to learn more about the great work Ashley's doing, head over to meandcoach.com or follow her on Instagram at quilt2endalz. This podcast is brought to you by Brewer of Hope. Brewer of Hope is a nonprofit that supports medically fragile children. If you'd like to make a tax deductible donation, 
you can use Venmo at Ruler-Hope or online at RulerHope.org. For a replay of this episode or previous episodes, visit CoachesWifeLife.org and follow us on social media at Coach's Wife Life.